2: to our great show today, which is February 21st, 2018. We're quite privileged and honored to have Dr. Craig, is it Wiener or Weiner?
0: How oh, do you Wiener. pronounce your last name? Yeah.
2: Wiener? Wiener? Okay. Yeah. To have Dr. Craig Wiener back on our show. He was with us probably a couple of years ago. and. Our subject matter today is going to be on parenting your child with ADHD. Give a little background. He's a licensed psychologist. He's based in Worcester, Massachusetts, where he specializes in the treatment of children, adolescents, and families. He obtained his doctorate degree from the Clark University, and he's a member of the American Psychological Association and the Massachusetts Psychological Association. He has over 30 years of private practice, and he's also an assistant professor of the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at University of Massachusetts Medical School, and he's also clinical director of mental health services at Family Health Center of of Worcester. So this is an extremely busy man, and we're going to get right into the interview. Welcome. Welcome.
3: Well, hi. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: Let's talk about parenting children with ADHD. What have you found to be the biggest obstacles?
3: Well, uh, the first obstacle, of course, is the um, the kind of indoctrination that um, our social group has had with ADHD. Uh, for the past 50 years, it's been more and more um, of... Um, the medical field uh, kind of uh, persuading people to see this as a uh, biogenetic problem that um, it limits the child's uh, possible functioning. So that um, what happens is, is as people believe this um, way of understanding the behavior pattern, there's the a greater likelihood of people feeling that uh, medication um, and taking more control of the child's um, management is necessary because the child is considered um, limited by a a condition that's um, basically uh, genetic in origin and that um, makes them uh, more likely to show hyperactive, impulsive, and distracted behaviors. So parents often get the sense that they really have to take over and um, give medications to offset this uh, disability. That's the first hurdle. Because, in many ways i've I approach the problem very differently and try to uh, help the parent address how people come to this conclusion, and that you could come to a very different understanding of these behaviors, uh, even in light of all the um, research that's presented, you can be uh, they're finding out um, more and more now that uh, long term use of these uh, ADHD medications really aren't yielding long-term benefits, even though in the short term, the child shows improvements um, in uh, sitting in a chair and completing work, but in long term, they're not really showing benefits in uh, education achievement and uh, life uh, adjustment.
2: Mm. Kind of difficult to change that paradigm, isn't it, since it's been going on for so long?
3: Yeah, and it's um, going on with all the diagnostic categories because um, – People come to see their struggles in life as caused by their biology rather than as a function of uh, developing slowly over long periods of time and learning to live in the world and cope with the kind of world they're encountering.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, if you can help a person come to understand that what they're doing is uh, very understandable in light of the conditions that they've dealt with and had to adjust to, they can see their behavior as um, adaptive even though there are secondary side effects, secondary consequences to all the solutions we have. So you might solve one thing by doing one behavior, but it also creates a cascade of other problems. So it's, we're, all, we're all struggling with how to operate in the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm curious, how does our high-tech society uh, affect these children?
3: Well, you know, you, you get kids and uh, they're really... Focused and connected to their phones and video games and uh, uh, social media, so that it's uh, they're they're almost bonded to this stuff. When they go to restaurants with their family or spend time with the family, everybody's got a phone out. Even in therapy sessions, the phone's ringing constantly, and it's uh, distract. It might distract people from each other and make mm. relationships uh, a little bit different because the, the person can. Uh, kind of shut the text off when they want. They don't have to learn to uh, do a mutual exchange. So it's the kind of give and take that comes with operating with a real person. So there might be some behaviors that aren't being learned as as, uh, readily if you're dealing with an object that you can um, control or act upon versus a person who you're interrelating with. It's a very different behavior.
2: Well, with an ADHD child, I would think it would be uh, quite complicated. Uh, number one, it's a big distraction, which is what you pretty much you're you're saying. Uh, but the behavioral side needs to be addressed with parents, I would think, relative to uh, one-on-one um, communication.
3: Yeah, I think that the whole thing is is forming, forming a relationship with the child, and by having a relationship, the cooperation is a, goes with it. So that mm-hmm. uh, if the child and parent aren't interacting very much, so there's what's the likelihood that anybody goes out of their way to be kind and helpful and caring? If the relationship is, is kind of a distance and we, there's not much going on, people aren't really involved with each other's lives, there's no sense of camaraderie or mutual caring. So you want to, Now I'm not saying that you can't have that with the electronics. You just have to shape it. And the kids, mm-hmm. kids will give up the electronics if there's options to have relationships. Why well, was, I don't see it necessarily one um, supplanting the other, but uh, it might, because kids always had other things that they were going to do.
0: And mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. they just
3: it's a little bit, um, harder. Who, who, who even knows? We don't have long-term data on any of this. It's a new generation that's even being exposed to this stuff early on.
2: Are the ADHD children, are their brains wired uh, uh, differently from a child well, that doesn't have
0: ADHD? some people ADHD? like
3: to um, say that, but if you look at the data very closely, the um, when you, they, some studies will come out with the difference between uh, kids diagnosed with ADHD and the size of different brains and the differentiation of the structures or the um, way in which the brain has uh, neurotransmitters but uh, mm-hmm. repetition of the studies say that it, it doesn't always show any difference and the other thing is they might just be measuring the consequence of behaving in the world in a certain way because I, I'm sure brains of psychologists look differently than brains of non-psychologists because they did. A, they do studies of uh, cab drivers in London, and they showed that the cab driver, uh, cab driver's brain was very developed in the spatial area because that's what they did all day. They navigated through mm-hmm. the streets. So you're dealing with the consequences of of behavior. You're not dealing with the causes of behavior.
0: Mm-hmm. So
3: if mm-hmm. if you're if you're not studying or doing or doing your own self-management, and somebody's doing it for you, how how is your brain going to develop the same way as if you? Train yourself to get up, and you train you're training yourself to remind yourself about things, or to coordinate your schedule, or to figure out complex problems. Instead of saying I can't, I don't know, and then uh, kind of uh, moaning and groaning until somebody comes over and makes it easy for you. That's a different brain development than a kid learns to struggle and, and uh, learn that they can do it. It's
2: really an excellent point. What's the attention span of an ADHD child? Are they all different?
3: Well, yeah, and I, what I my view is that it's a very situational uh, assessment because the, the the attention span of what what's done when it's uh, an enjoyed or initiated activity is very different from when it's an assigned or required
0: oh. or
3: expected activity.
0: But well, so, that's,
3: that's every child. Well, yes, yeah, so then the problem is the kids who are more extreme in this regard get diagnosed because we're all required to accommodate to things we don't like, mm-hmm. and it, it may be a function of how do you pattern somebody to learn not everything in the world is what exactly what I like. And the, the other thing is if I'm not good at something – I'm less much less likely to practice it and participate, and that's self fulfilling prophecy because then I become further and further behind and more and more self conscious and more and more avoidant and i and the think and then I become more resistive and then the more I'm forced to do it by somebody, the more terrible it gets and that's what mm-hmm. gets kids with these diagnoses into power struggles with their parents and then there's a that, that it's all about um what if, what's the success rate of the child with the activity you're, you're, you're talking about? Because people people work for long-term goals when they have the sense that if they do it, the success is possible. You don't really work long-term if you don't think you can do it. Why do you invest the mm-hmm. effort?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So a lot yeah, of they is frustrated. I, yeah, exactly. So I'm helping parents all the time learn understand the child in terms of the child's living in the world and their development.
2: Yeah. What advice do you have for parents with ADHD children that do not wish to continue them on the medications?
3: So, okay, my advice is you could do what I want to do with or without medications. But if you introduce the medications, then you have the problem of taking get it withdrawing from them, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sometimes, if you introduce the medications, the parent, get, the, everybody gets complacent because the reports from school stop happening because the kids uh, more focused in, and therefore you get a you kind of. Uh, if the parent still wants to stick to the therapy, when the when the urgency is reduced, that's the problem. Is so that um, you can you can do what I want to do without the meds, you just as long as the parent knows that there might not be, be this urgency, which you often gets people to work harder, but. What I try to get parents to do is not what is often recommended, which is what parents often hear is that they have to manage the child more um, readily and do a higher level of monitoring and a higher level of um, what's called uh, the contingency management, which is you have to kind of be there to coax the kid along with bribes and rewards and punishments because the kid has to kind of constantly be coaxed to keep doing the things you want the kid to do. And I, what I try to do is um, help the child. If if ADHD doesn't happen when the child's interested, then how do we help create interest in doing this, the the activities and achievements that we value? So that by, I'm trying to help the parent establish that,
0: mm-hmm. rather than
3: fight the child all, all along with, uh, I'll take your phone away or I'll give you this if you do this. Because then, if I'm not around to keep doing that, the kid the kid does, only learns to do that when I'm around with that artificially created world. And mm-hmm. I want the child to learn to function not just with the parent and the artificial world the parent's creating, but learn to function away from the parent in the world in which it is. Now, if mm-hmm. you take the belief the kid can't handle the world the way it is because of a disability, then you never permit that to happen. But I don't do that. I, I say let's see if we can get the youngster to learn to be more self-reliant and learn... To that some of these things where you want the child to do, they might enjoy and they might find success with it. It might not be so terrible, so it's it's helping work through the reluctance and avoidance and the uh, uh anxiety about participating and trying to achieve in socially valued activities.
0: Mhm,
2: mhm, a lot of parents don't have training previous training and how to manage an ADHD child. Are there courses, or is it basically done by a psychologist?
3: Um, Well, there's lots of professionals that uh, work with kids and uh, people who do parenting, and there's lots of um, programs. The problem is the parent has to kind of... Sift through um, most of it's going to be uh, rewards and charts and bribes and punishments and mm-hmm. um, that the, the um, they're going to get a short term effect like the meds and they're not but the long term is going to be the issue. Okay. How how well does anybody come out of institutional care when they're managed by people
2: when
0: mm-hmm. they leave the,
3: when they leave the institution it's what's called institutionalized so how are they they're not really better off out of the institution. So you have to worry. I worry that that's, that doesn't train the child to become the um, self-reliant adult.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, now, mm-hmm. if you take the view that these kids are already doing a lot of the behaviors that we want them to do on, on their initiated activities that they like, it's not really teaching them something from scratch. They just don't do it with the activities we are requiring of them. They're doing it. They might read a book on um, how to how to do the video game, and they never pick up a, 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 a book like that on on schoolwork.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Or they might read a they might read a um, Stephen King novel, but they're not going to read another kind of not going to read a school a school assignment. There's lots of true. They learn about professional wrestling and who's the champ and. What his matches were, and what the brackets are, and why he's going to win or not win, or the or, or the uh, trading cards. They know all the systems and who's what's valuable and how to play the game. But they're not learning the simple thing, or they they don't know how to pick up their room, or leave leave their books in a reliable place they can find them, or put their homework in a place where it's they can uh, retrieve it, or, or pass it in when no one's around to tell them to pass it in.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, how, mm-hmm. how do
3: people manage all these other things? They don't manage the very simplistic routines that uh, lots of us learn to do.
2: Mm. I think a lot of times parents are just exhausted. You know, it's it's kind of like we have the two parent household now, and they both work.
3: So I think that's true. And, and how many? What kind of routines are available for family life anymore in terms of? Bedtimes and story times and supper times and homework time. And do, if you if you do routines, you're more likely to remember your routines because it's so always it's true the, the activity before cues the next activity.
0: Mhm. So mm-hmm. that's
3: why people who do routines achieve a lot.
2: Mhm. Very good point. Let's go into your ten parenting principles.
3: Okay, so these are. Um, uh, let me see. I just get the. So the first ones, um, as I've been talking about uh, managing a child with coercion because of the presumption of disability, the mm-hmm. first parental principle I use is um, uh, manage the child with um, the least amount of coercion. Mm-hmm. Coercion is your last resort, not your not your presumed method. So when you when you solve a problem with less coercion you increase interest because you get a buy-in and if you have buy-in you don't have to be around to force because the person sees the benefits it's a mutual, mutually beneficial solution both people voluntarily know that it's in their best interest to do it
0: Mm-hmm.
3: and the second one is um, staying calm now one of the arguments for the ADHD crowd is that the Youngsters somehow has a problem uh, regulating their emotions they call it regulating emotions. all you know is the kid uh gets emotional more quickly than than the other kids' their age group. Now the problem is how to account for that and a lot of times it's it's uh modeled behavior and a lot a lot of times it's what do people do when the child's emotional do we try to calm them down do we give in to them do they um what's what's the reinforcement of it so we want to first Help the parent recognize how are they responding to the child when the child's getting emotional. What what benefits does being emotional have for the child? Now, so the first thing for the parent is, is going to be if you stay calm, you're role modeling the behavior you want the child to show. Like it's, it's, uh you could say, "I know you're angry, but I can hear you better if you talk quietly." Or we could solve this. We could probably solve this um, once we relax and calm down because we'll be able to think better. So you just, you just maybe giving the youngsters some uh, ideas about. Oh, gee, it's better if we can do, do this calmly. We'll come up with something we can both enjoy. Mm-hmm. you so a good the, example. Yes, you're training yeah, so now emotionality, which is very important because they talk about kids being impulsive. That's just really just emotionality because everybody does a short-term gain when they're emotional. They don't really pay attention to what's going to happen when they say the things they're going to say when they're emotional. It's when they calm down, they they, they operate differently. It's just like when you're drunk, you don't think the same way as when you're not drunk. So it's a, it's a problem of what... Emotionality is a very important uh, skill to, uh, to teach a kid to uh, how do you learn to be calm about things to solve them. So these are often kids that you get all frustrated and upset, and then and, and if the parent feels that they are obligated to be the ones to ch- uh, calm the child down, then the child doesn't learn to calm themselves down. They learn that if they're upset, somebody comes over and it makes a, it makes a difference for them. So why would they learn to calm down? They learn to be emotional, and you just have to go through all this all these instances with the parent to see when Mm -hmm. it happens during the day. Mm -hmm. Mm. So the third one? The third one is um, Mm -hmm. they take steps to address and resolve problems, which means that if if a parent's unhappy in their relationship with the child, they're feeling the child's exploiting or not not really participating or um, doing things, Uh, it's important for the parent not to sit there and, let the parent uh, let the child uh, dominate and exploit the family. So the parents say something like, "Gee, I haven't been getting enough time on the computer. Let's figure out a way to take turns." And now, if the, the if the youngsters doesn't want to work with you, then you then you could do something more coercive. If you but coercive doesn't really solve anything, you have to find out why wouldn't the child want to figure out a way to take turns. What's the big deal? why isn't the relationship important enough to for both to give and take? That's the first problem. You wanna have a a relationship that means we, we it is important to to each of us that we accommodate each other. Now these kids do that with their friends all the time. You don't have to force them to do a favor for their friends. So you know that they these are these are responses within their behavioral repertoire, it's just that they're not patterned as family behavior.
0: The, and then that, the, uh, that's a good.
2: That's a, a good point. Pattern, patterned behavior. <laughs> yeah,
3: yes. So four is um, uh, patients because um, uh, what happens is if let's say uh, a child's in th- therapy with, with me and the child puts his feet up on the chair, and I say, "Gee, that that could uh, rip the chair," and the child puts the I don't say take your feet off. I let the child know that that's a problem, and then the child puts the feet down. But then as other things happen, the feet go back up because that's just an automatic behavior the kid's doing. Now, if I say put your feet down and I start to get impatient with the child, then the child's not going to like the way I talk with them and they're less likely to want to accommodate me. Because now our relationship is different. Because I'm I'm treating them in a frustrated way, which says I'm I'm angry with you or you're bad. So now the relationship is somewhat disrupted. Now it takes longer to get the behavior to stop because that, now that's in the way. So if I say I, I usually know it takes three to four times of just being very common uh, about the feet, and after a while the child do- stops. So, like, how fast does anybody change a habit? That's the, the idea, is that to recognize ahead of time that all these things that we're doing with a child and the child's doing with us, we, that's been um, reinforced and patterned in for years and years already. And that that be, and now just because I'm doing differently or I'm sounding nice-nice or I'm doing something new, uh, it, it may not automatically change the first trial. It's going to take a little time to shape a relationship that's, more mature in terms of give and take, but the earlier you start with your child, the better, because you want yeah, the child to yes. learn that they can contribute and participate mm-hmm. and give back early. They, otherwise, the child just learns that the world revolves around me and everything that has to, do to accommodate to me. And then you wonder why the kids uh, aren't adjusting to what's not interesting to them because they're used to the world accommodating to them.
0: Hmm.
2: Well. Parenting any child, they need structure and they need boundaries.
3: Very much so, and that—that's what's kind of um, the boundaries and structure are relational patterns that are mutually acceptable, and mm-hmm. that have an influence on, fam- on the family in a positive way. That uh, this is this this is kind of behavior is going to cost the family lots of money if you do this. And then we have less mm-hmm. money available to other things. So, but kids don't learn that that what they do has an impact on others and the, and see the consequences. How are they going to learn to be managers of their own activity? So, mm-hmm. if if the if the parent isn't helping them see the consequences of of what goes on, uh, a lot of a lot of kids aren't really experiencing the consequences of their own failures anymore.
2: Yeah, no, I I a um, a child that was raised by his grandmother from the time he was two and a half, three years old. By the time he reached 19, he was in prison. And the grandmother never set structure or boundaries with him. He was never punished for anything ever.
3: (laughs) Well, the the grandmothers, because grandparenting is notoriously a permissive activity, um, that uh, that means that uh, it w- for me it isn't that he wasn't punished enough it was that she didn't really sh- sh- work with him to develop a mutually acceptable pattern with him
0: mm-hmm.
3: so she may have accommodated to him or just made sure he was happy or uh, never really did anything that would get him to be upset with her Or mm-hmm. uh,
0: and uh, she, didn't,
3: she didn't structure a, a what's called a family uh, which is the notion that it's a group and that people contribute mm-hmm. and help. So she she kind of, maybe she felt bad for him because his parents weren't there to take care of him, and, uh, and that, that guilt it can be very difficult because the parent who's feeling guilty is often over-accommodating, and it ends up with an outcome that you don't want.
2: Yeah, well probably punished wasn't the right word. Perhaps, you know, consequences was a better term. He never had any consequences. Yes, yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah. Uh, for his the, behavior. His whole, yeah, so the consequence, of, if he um, was reckless with things, you could say, well, we're going to have to fear our way to pay for this. It's going to have to happen. We're, mm-hmm. we're not going to really be able to go to McDonald's this week because we're going to have to spend the money on repairing this. He didn't. He may not have gotten any sense of his actions had outcomes that affected True. other people or, or anything else.
2: True. That's why it's important, Yeah.
0: Hmm.
2: So, what's your sixth one?
3: Well, I think your... was well, five, but um, there's, the fifth oh, one five? is okay. what's that one?
2: Okay, I'm starting to lose track. There's so many. <laughs> yeah. I, know.
3: <laughs> <Wait> a... <laughs> so I don't know. I'm a parent. Is... If
2: I could remember all ten of these, Craig. I
3: know. <laughs> I, that's why I wrote them in a book. You could get the book.
2: <laughs> there you go. There you go. And what's that book called? So our listeners know.
3: Oh, so it's called uh, "Parenting Your Child with ADHD: A No-Nonsense Guide for Nurturing Self-Reliance and Cooperation."
2: Good. I want everybody to know that. Yeah. All right. So we're on number five now.
3: We're on. We're ha- almost halfway there. So <laughs> the this one is called "Suspend uh, Judgment." Now. You know how people talk a lot about uh, non-judgmental um, uh, interactions, where people don't get upset with each other about being mm-hmm. evaluated and judged. Mm-hmm. When they talk, it kind of uh, gets people to clam up and not really be um, frank with each other or really uh, uh, direct and honest, so that um, they you can get a reasonable solution that has uh, the possibility of uh, follow-through for people. So, and the other thing is if you're judgmental and critical and evaluative, which is one of the situations that elicits ADHD behavior, the child usually learns to avoid or lie or sneak or say what you want to hear or clam up, and you don't really get the notion of talking and coming to some mutual outcome. So one of the ways in which I try to help parents is how might we talk with the child so that the child isn't upset and anxious about the notion that they're going to be judged and evaluated by each thing they say. So let's take the report card scenario. The kid doesn't want to show the uh, parent the report card because uh, they're going to be told they didn't do uh, well enough. And uh, so the parent could say, this report card looks terrible. And then the kid's just going to be defensive and upset and not want to share their struggles about school or anything, or even talk with the parent about school. You could... The alternative could be something like, um, "Well, how do you feel about the report card that you have?" Now, at first, the kids are going to say, "Fine," and they're not because they're going to be. If you can't get to this new place easily, because if you've already shaped the child to be anxious about what you're going to say, then you're not going to get automatically uh, a kid who feels free to just talk with you about how they feel. But
0: mm-hmm. over
3: time. It's uh, what do you like about the report card? Uh, is there anything about it you want to change? How do you feel about these grades? Do you have a sense about how these grades came about or what you could do to change it? Or is it something, how do you, you want to get the child talking more and you're responding mm-hmm. more to the child. It's not, most of these things are not, most of these parenting I, uh, approaches I'm advocating have to do with the child. Be much more in the lead in the parent responding to the child initiatives because it'll it'll shape a very different kind of relationship and behavior. It, you, most a lot of ADHD gets shaped by uh, long winded lectures. You should, mm. you have to, and then how do you mm-hmm. think uh, distractibility gets trained? Who's going to mm-hmm. listen to that?
0: Yeah, so.
2: parents uh, benefit by asking open ended questions, not closed ones.
3: Exactly, so uh, I'm all for that. And and then the more the child constructs language, the more they're developing their brain. Mm -hmm. Mhm,
0: mhm.
3: So how much brain develop? How much brain develop you get when the kid says, "I don't know." Yep, okay, sort of, I guess.
2: When when we were raising our our son, that usually five, six, seven, seven year olds. They can be a challenge at times. And um we used to say to him, Well, that didn't go go so well for you and um obviously there's consequences to what has transpired. Uh, so which uh um option would you like? One, two or three <laughs> of the consequence side, right? And yeah. Uh, he would always set his own he'd say well i guess i won't be going over to you know sam's house after school for a while <laughs> but he would he would pick it yeah and that's kind of how our how it went you know well we, we never uh, had any behavioral problems with him because he knew no. he had choices
3: yeah well you also were um, reasonable with him so uh he, he, I I try to work the kid to maybe that would be a solution anyway because it's not a bad solution. Or or what or how would it be beneficial if he didn't go there for a while? What would be gained by that solution? Mm-hmm. What would be the, What's the benefit of doing it that way?
0: Mm-hmm. Is,
3: is he is he thinking something Something's going to happen in the meantime that would if he went back. If he went back later, does he did maybe the, the family be more receptive to him? Do you let some time pass? Uh, if he went back later, maybe he he he' give himself some time to learn other things, so that when he did go back, it could be different so you I mm-hmm. always want the child to not to think that I'm inducing something just for its sake of having imposing suffering on him. I just want to find out well what are we trying to solve and what what and what is the advantage of this and what's the disadvantage of that and then the, then you get a, a different kind of uh understanding and, and of what's going on
2: true. Very true. What's our next one?
3: So number six is uh, say it positively. Now this Mm -hmm. is interesting because almost everything that we say in the negative could be reframed in a positive way. And if you learn to talk about the positive, the child's more likely to see the advantages of something rather than the fear of it. So, and uh, the benefit of doing it rather than the the denial. So you gain you gain a lot by the language and the form of language you're using. So, you could say to a child, uh, "You can't have snacks before dinner." Now, all the child's going to hear is they're being kept from something, right? Or, or uh, yeah,
2: that's true.
3: Okay, or I could say, uh, gee, let's keep our appetites. We can eat together real soon. So you're you're keeping your appetite, which is uh, a benefit, and that we're going to be together soon. So that you're always trying to um, point them into something that uh, is, uh, so they can see the reason, the positive reason to do things a lot of parents are managing with a fear which is if you don't do it I'll take this away. Mhm. Rather than if we do it this way this is this is this will happen, we can get the, this to happen and this might be nice. Like if it's the same thing as if um uh let's say I yes I had a um a case where the father was going to write out um the child had to get a certain uh, average in her um grades. For him to pay for something, and the thing is, the child would have liked to have those grades anyway.
0: So mm-hmm. that, but
3: the the idea that she wasn't going to get that something unless she got the grades was only going to be getting angry at him because he was trying to force her, rather than what well, what kind of grades do you want, and what would happen if you got these grades, and what would happen for you if you got these grades, or I think it makes sense for us to get this for you if you get these grades, because then we know you're serious about doing it, and it's worthwhile for the family to invest in that. If if you're serious, we'd like you to be we'd like to be serious about supporting you.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it, you're mm-hmm. talking
3: about a whole other set of behaviors that have to do with care and facilitating, not preventing or coercing, and it's all in the language. Because a lot of the notion of punishment is just the language or how you say it or. Uh, if you don't stop doing this we're gonna i'm gonna take you out of here or versus you gee they will only let us stay if we 're quiet We're only allowed to stay here or we could stay here longer if we make sure we're quiet we' we're, we're, we're everybody everybody's uh happy if we're quiet so the youngster talks about we get to stay rather than i'm going to take you out of here its so it's all about where you're pointing the kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it can be very, very different responses are elicited depending on how things are framed.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: That's a customer service issue at at at, at, uh, at stores, a good customer service person. How can I help you? What can we do for you? Let's see how I can help true. you. Resolve. Yeah, yeah it's a, you're doing customer service.
2: Mm-hmm. You just never think of it um, as applicable to the household, you know.
3: Yeah, it is most this number 7 is um oh. I think this is very important. Uh it's called treat your child as competent to succeed. Now, you know how we were talking earlier about the presumption of disability takes um parenting and intervention into a whole other direction of Yes. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So this I'm is sure a we very were about it.
3: Yeah. So this is this is one of the principles that if you Presume your child can do it. You're relating differently to the child. Now, let's say the child's doing um, work, schoolwork, and the parent could say, you have to read the directions. Now, you're treating the child like uh, somebody just did something wrong who doesn't know what to do, and the child's going to object to the help and the schoolwork because it's now associated with you're stupid, you don't know anything.
2: Yeah, that's tough
3: Now a lot of kids refuse help Because it's the, the, that kind of defensiveness
0: mm.
3: They don't they want to be treated like a baby They don't want to be treated like they don't
0: They mm-hmm. don't know
3: I know that, I know, I know, I know They would he- say So mm. the parent, instead of saying You have to read the directions You could say, well, gee, um, how can you find out what to do So you're asking mm-hmm. the child And mm-hmm. the child is, it would tell you Now the child's competent
0: because
3: mm-hmm. they're giving the answer, so it's, it's, That's it's very a great tricky. One. Yeah, it's very very tricky about if a parent just pays attention to these kinds of things as a first step. I mm-hmm. didn't think mm-hmm. about changing, but think about all the things that are said with the presumption that I'm treating the child like they didn't know, rather than they're doing something. The child may not have been doing the the, the schoolwork but not because they didn't read the directions. Maybe they maybe didn't read the directions. They you know afraid they didn't weren't going to want to do it or they were angry about doing it. or They wanted to do something else. Or, but I'm saying I'm treating them like they didn't know that versus they knew they know they weren't doing it. Or they that's why I'm, it it's remarkable in our society how we presume people don't know things. Now
0: mm-hmm. there may
3: be times when people don't know things if you live in uh, in isolation or you're restricted from certain kinds of information. But a lot of times, like we were talking about earlier, a lot of these things that kids doing all the time in other situations and circumstances, they're already doing it. They know where to put their stuff where they can find it. If they, it's very mm-hmm. important for them to – if it's important for their sister not to take it from them, they'll hide something. So they know exactly where not to put it. Yet they leave their stuff all over the ground like they don't know where to put things.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: So that's it's. It's not an issue of incompetence. It's an issue of what would account for them to do this behavior in this way with these things in these situations, and another behavior, another way with another situation with other people in different settings. So you can see ADHD is a very subtle, nuanced uh, pattern of behavior that it doesn't really get solved by saying it's a. It's caused by your genes. There's no gene that, that even predicts the diagnosis, let alone anything else. How they keep getting away with that, I have no idea.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: So number eight is um, established buy-in, which we've been talking about all along. Uh, when your child's comfortable with what is happening, uh, the child's much more likely to cooperate and follow through. Mm-hmm. And uh,
0: mm-hmm.
3: Now, this is a very subtle thing because you could um, say to a kid, um I don't want you touching that toy again, or I don't want you touching that thing on the desk. And you could uh, just walk away, or you could look at the kids and say, gee, uh, it's important that you leave this stuff on the desk alone. And then look at the child and see if the child nods, that they're okay with that. Like check to see that you're interested in whether they're agreeing or willing to do that. So you get a very different set of behaviors if you acknowledge somebody's, uh, it's called a social regulator, if you acknowledge whether somebody's happy or displeased with what you've just said, and you can tell if somebody's buying in by whether they're nodding or giving you a certain kind of facial expression that says, okay, I'm all right with that, and it's a respect that you're giving to somebody that really translates into a very different set of relationships and patterns and follow-throughs.
2: Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one.
3: So what's number nine? nine is... What's that? We're on nine, yeah. It oh, we're nine on nine, is, okay. We're on, uh, number nine is called um, Assert Yourself. Now, oh. that goes back mm-hmm. with the grandmother story where we're wondering whether the, whether the grandma was um, really sticking up for... What she what was best for her and him rather than just what was best for him, mm-hmm. or, or what she thought she, what she thought she was doing best for him by making sure he didn't have any disappointments or limits, but um, it may be that she ended up washing dishes and sweeping floors and picking up things and really being the maid. And the, the, what parent really wants to do that? And is it mm-hmm. any? It's not really good for a kid to think that the people they're living with are going to service them that way so let- let's say um the parents noticing that uh certain snacks are bought, and the one youngster's eating up all the snacks before <laughs> the siblings.
0: Uh.
3: yeah those are good examples, so uh the parent can just say uh nothing uh, could say, um, I'm gonna hide the snacks."
0: Uh, <laughs> then bill them out
3: the, and yeah. the child doesn't learn anything because the parent's managing it or the parent what if the parent said I'm happy to keep buying these snacks if we figure out a way to share them so the parent can say uh, I'm going to buy them but I'm only going to buy them under some conditions where the kids are all happy with the way they're sharing it and the kids are going to tell me whether they're happy with sh- the way they're sharing it otherwise I can stop buying them but it's up to you to figure out a way to share them, but it's a, I'm not going to keep buying something if I. What if I, I'm? Gonna, I'm glad to buy these candies if I. If, they, if you feel comfortable, if you're throwing the wrappers away in the trash, but why buy them and I have to pick up the wrappers?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. So you, uh, we can do this as long, as long as I know you're doing that. So you're paying attention to. A limit that you're establishing. Parents are, are are limiting exploitations and harms, but they're not telling the child as much what to do. The child is mm-hmm. figuring out what to do. I'm telling them the the the, the limits of what I'm going to do. You're in, you're in, you're running the family. You're running the rules of the game in some ways, or the patterns of the game, and they they can learn to operate. But you don't you're not gonna, you don't have to be forced to do, to to uh, Buy snacks because the child's screaming. Mm -hmm. And then the child sticks me with the papers. That doesn't make any sense.
2: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Being a parent is a big, it's a big, big job.
3: (laughs) Well, yeah, because we're having, all of us have trouble with, how do you get a, a relationship that's mutually comfortable?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: How many people are successful at that with each other, at work, with their mm-hmm. spouses, with their children? That's 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 a pretty complex thing to do.
2: It really is.
3: Yeah, and that's that's the, the solution to ADHD is, to, in my view, is this. It's not it's not a just if you just want to control your kid more, you'll get a short term benefit as long as the kid's in front of you and you have the power mm-hmm. to do it, but. You don't, mm. don't think the kids you are going to produce the uh, outcome at the end that you're looking for. True. Uh, that's the may not be thing. there.
2: What's that? I said that outcome just might not be there.
0: That outcome <laughs> and not be And <laughs> it's too and late. It's too late to be, go back.
3: That, that's the danger is so many kids nowadays are only seeing their pediatrician and putting, being put on a stimulant, and then it's kind of late because by the time mm. they're... Ten and 11, 12 and thirteen, and fourteen. You're losing. Chance, you're losing uh, the opportunities. You don't even have the same um, impact on the child, the same chance of influencing them, and all the learning and brain development that's occurred is now their patterned and have have response patterns that are very, very much more difficult to change. Mm-hmm. So you want to start as wasn't early it, as you can.
2: Wasn't it? Was it Hitler that said, "Give me a child." Um, up to six years old and and he would have them for life or something like that,
3: because yeah, well, he could pattern I mean, them, yeah, so you can influence your child more at the be, more at the beginning. I think the a d h d stuff has to be like if you notice your child is very active and starting with that behavior of oh, you sit down in the room and they go right for every object that they know they're not supposed to touch, so that's like eighteen months old, they're doing all that, and uh if you could help a parent early early on resolve that problem of the kid gets control of the room by touching the wrong things, and once the child learns that, they get control of the room by their hyperactivity is the way to get control of a room, monopolize a room, and then you're into a whole all these other patterns that go right with it, which is uh, how does the child get what they want? Uh, mm-hmm. and what what behaviors are they learning to do to pull people to be involved with them? Because when they go to school, the, the teacher doesn't want to deal with them as the only child in the room. They're not going to monopolize the teacher like they monopolize the parent.
2: That's true. That's so it's really five true. years
3: later, and they've been doing that for five years, running mm-hmm. the family.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh That's boy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, we're going to be running out of time soon, so let's touch on number ten.
3: All right, we got ten. Is is really what we've been talking about all along, which is foster independence.
2: Okay. So
0: instead of
3: instead of ordering your child's meal at a restaurant, what if the child orders own meal? What if the child learned to set their own alarm clock? What if the child figured out when, where would they put their backpack so they remember it in the morning? what well, what if the child did all these things and figured out what to do and
0: mm-hmm. if they don't do it you
3: you're 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 shaping this over time by like slow steady but it's it you can see the emphasis is very different from the emphasis that most parents are probably told if their kid's diagnosed with a d h d they're not none of this is emphasized
0: mm-hmm. what what's emphasized
3: mm-hmm. is gain control over your kid
0: mm.
2: Yeah, so that's that's really what your whole uh informational interview has been about today. Yeah. It's a, diff, a different paradigm.
3: Yeah. A, uh
2: different way of thinking, different way of of raising your your children whether they have ADHD or not, yeah. you know. Huh. Well, um why don't you tell our listeners again um about your book and where it can be purchased? That would be really helpful.
3: Okay, so it's called, um, I'm Craig Wiener, and it's called Parenting Your Child with ADHD, A No-Nonsense Guide for Nurturing Self-Reliance and Cooperation, and you could get it on Amazon. I, I, as far as I know, Barnes & Noble uh, throughout the country was stocking uh, copies of the book, mm-hmm. and uh, and you could get it on all the online stores. Uh, so it's readily it, it should be readily available. Uh, libraries and uh, uh, have it. And, uh, Great. So hopefully
2: well, it's be been an, it's been an absolute pleasure having you back. Thank you so very much for taking time out of your very very busy practice and teaching. We well, really thank you for having it.
3: me. I, I appreciate that you had me, and I enjoyed it good talk with you thank
2: you thank you thank you thank you Dr. Craig Weiner. take care
3: okay take care
2: bye bye all right that concludes our interview for today thank you so much for listening please join us again next Wednesday 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time which is also 7 p.m. New York bye bye for now be well
1: We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer? Now What? For information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?